Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. So excited you guys are here with us on Spring Forward Sunday. Come on, give yourselves a big hand because you guys are here, you're on time. Pastor Braley told me the trick last night. He said, here's the trick, Pastor Brian. If you're gonna spring forward, he says, what you do is the day before you just act like you're an hour ahead. And he said, that way you go to bed at nine o'clock, which would normally be, you know, like, 10 o'clock your time, it's like, like all these different things, which actually it would be different. Anyways, you know what I mean. And uh, he said, you just spring forward, you get that clock going. So last night when they uh, came home from Fine Arts, and you saw a little video right there with Fine Arts, and it was just awesome day yesterday. Our students did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. In fact, we had two, uh, Grayson Marquez and then Jordan Henley, who actually got merit. That means across the entire district, they got top uh, in there. Uh, feel that they were doing, and so she had done a t-shirt design, and then Jordan had done a uh, uh, short sermon, and it was one of those proud dad moments, you know, you're, you're watching your daughter, because they actually had her come and speak in front of a thousand kids, and do her uh, short sermon, and it was just, it was really, really powerful, and so super proud of you, Jordan, my baby girl, uh, rocking it out. Can you give my daughter a big hand? I love her. But each and every one of our students just did a phenomenal job, and it's all about deploying them. It's all about, it's about developing, it's about deploying, and we really desire to create an environment here at Bethany for your kids, your students, to grow up using their talents for the kingdom, right? Like, we want our kids to understand that God has a plan and purpose for their life. We want our kids to understand that there's, there's more than just what this world says is out there and that God desires to use their gifts, their talents, and what better place than to develop them right here, right? Like right here. We should be developing the graphic artists. We should be developing the painters and those who are doing spoken word and, the, and those who are preaching and those who, I mean, literally they have now business plan. You actually present a business plan because what they're saying across our fellowship is this, is that we want our young people to be equipped and to understand that Jesus living inside of them is not something they have to be ashamed of, but it should actually be something that they should proclaim. And so our young people are doing that, and uh, Pastor Casey and his team are just doing a phenomenal job there. We have been in this series called Strongholds, and it's this idea of, of you and I that there are strongholds inside of our lives. In fact, the passage of Scripture we've been walking through the past few weeks is found in 2 Corinthians. Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5, and here's what it says. It says, for we, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. And we've been talking a lot about that, about how you and I, we don't wage war like the world does. The world goes at us with different weapons, different attacks, and we need to stop being naive to that. In fact, my daughter and her uh, message yesterday was talking about if we know the devil is like a lion, if we know he's prowling around, then why would we treat him any different? If we know he seeks to destroy us, if we know he's the liar, why would we not say he's a liar and he's trying to destroy my life? But somehow we've bought into this idea that what the world has for us will actually be better for us. But how many of you ever been in an empty relationship before? How many ever made bad choices before that led you down empty roads? You see, we don't fight like the world fights. No, it says this, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of this world. It goes on to say, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. In fact, here's what I want you to say this morning. Would you just say that with me? Say demolish. demolish. Come on, think about that. I mean, it destroys them. It gets rid of them. They're no longer in your life. Stop believing the lie of the enemy that says these strongholds will always be there. In fact, in today, what we're going to be talking about, I really want that to grab a hold of you. That you don't have to think that way or act that way. Yeah, you may be surrounded by it, but that's not who you are. That's not your label. That's not who God says you are. No, you're a pineapple tidbit. <laughs> and if you have no idea what that means, you need to listen to last week's message because you're a pineapple tidbit. I love it. Pastor Casey, even this week, got all the students together, and, and their last thing they said as, as Fine Arts was ending is they put all their hands together, and they said, on the count of three, I'm a pineapple tidbit. Ready? One, two, three, pineapple tidbit. Right? Like, because there's something to be said about that. We're going to demolish strongholds, and then 
as we demolish the strongholds, we're going to demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we're going to take captive every thought, and we're going to make it obedient to Christ. And what I want to talk to you about today is a stronghold that I think the church has been all too quiet on and all too silent. In fact, we've allowed the world to define the very thing that God created. We've allowed the world to define something that he said is for you. It's between a husband and a wife. But we have been silent because we were ashamed. We said we can't talk about those type of things in church. And and here's what I'm going to say. Some of you may get offended already. Because what we're going to talk about this morning is sex. Some of you are like, what? I don't come to church to talk about sex. And exactly, that's the problem. It's because the church doesn't talk about it. And so what happens is, is we've allowed the world to divine something that God created. In fact, let me just kind of tell you that this morning is that God created sex. Don't be ashamed of it. God created it. He said, hey, it's good. When he looked at Adam and Eve and he looked at that moment and he said, it's good. I think he was looking and saying, it's good. Like Adam has Eve, it's good. Like there's a good connection that's going to happen. Adam's going to love doing what I've told him, instructed him to do, to be fruitful and multiply. Eve is going to love it. Because why? Because God designed it. He created it. But before we get into that, what I would say is this is that the world has been trying to define sex for a long time. I mean, they write songs about it. There's that song back in the 90s by Salt and Pepper. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that will be. Now, some of you are like, Pastor Brian, how do you know that? Because I was a teenage boy in the 90s. And when that jam came out, I was like, mm-hmm, let's talk about mm Because mm, 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 mm. for me, like, I was a teenage boy. There's, like, there's something that God put inside of us. And we've got to stop being ashamed of it. Now listen, anything that is used outside of the context of how it was originally designed will bring destruction. Listen, a Corvette is not a bad car, but when you take a Corvette off-road and you take it out mudding and you take it through woods that have tree limbs and everything, guess what happens to that Corvette? It gets torn apart. It's not that the Corvette is bad. No, it's good. It's just being used in a way it was never designed to be used. Come on, church. We got to take back what the world has tried to steal from us. And when you say, no, this is something that God created. It's something that God has for you and for me. But what happens is, is we've allowed shame to enter in. Can't talk about that. And that shame just continues to reinforce these addiction cycles in our lives. We just, we just push these things further and further down. And we say, we can't talk about it. We don't even want to deal with it. But yet we're dealing with it across our churches, across our fellowships, across our nation. People are dealing with this addiction to sex. And we've got to remove the stigma. Because God created sex and and as we define it what we'll see is even when we see later in verse 28 of genesis chapter 1 28 verses in 28 verses into the scripture and god's already talking about this he says god said to them to adam and eve be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it come on what god was saying is be fruitful and multiply how do you multiply well you got to have sex Some people are like, well, sex is just for procreation. I think the whole idea of the fruitful part is God was saying, enjoy it. Enjoy as it's multiplying. Now listen, I understand for some of us in the room today, there's a lot of baggage that comes with this idea and concept of sex. But can I just say, don't allow the baggage of life to take something that God created to be beautiful between a man and his wife. To be taken and thrown down. In the book Sheet Music, written by a guy by the name of Dr. Kevin Lehman, he writes this. He says, Anybody who has ever experienced great lovemaking instinctively knows the truth. Now listen to what he says. He says, Sex is too good to just happen. He says it didn't evolve as a result of some cosmic accident. Oh, now here it is. He said something this... 
uh, is exquisite, oh man, I can't even say the word, had to have been lovingly, brilliantly, creatively designed. And then he goes on to say, if an atheist ever comes up to you and demands that there is proof that there is a God, all you have to do is just look at him and say, sex. <laughs> he said, then give him a day to think about it, and if at the end of the day he remains unconvinced, unconvinced then he just revealed a lot more about his sex life or lack thereof than he ever intended to. I didn't say that. Dr. Kevin Lehman said that. I mean, look throughout the scriptures, Song of Songs. Think about it. Song of Solomon, a book written in the scriptures, explicitly talks about a lover coming together with their husband. God has given us, now think about this, God has given us more instruction about sex than he has about parenting. God has given us more instructions on, on how to take care of, of ourselves, and he's given us this idea and this gift called sex, and he's saying you are to treasure it, you're to celebrate it, and you're to enjoy it. But here's what happened. A while ago, the enemy came in and started speaking lies. Why? Because he's the father of lies. And if he's the father of lies, that means that's what he's going to use. And so he started putting these lies out there at you and I. And here's the first lie I want to tackle today, and that is this, is that sex is dirty. See, the enemy knew that he could take this idea, and here's what happened. You and I as Christians went, yeah, yeah, it's dirty, because it sounded right. And then we started thinking about it as this dirty thing. You know, they say this uh, by stats. They'll say an average man has a sexual thought every 20 seconds. Now, women have asked for years, is that all men think about? But the answer is no. Sometimes we think about killing a deer. Sometimes we think about golfing. Sometimes we think about eating. And then we think about sex again. Now, some of you are like, oh, see, that is exactly the problem. Men are dirty. <laughs> They're just dirty. But here's the reality of it. A longing for my wife, there's nothing wrong with that. Me longing for intimacy with my wife, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's how God designed it. I think God put that in there so that throughout the day as I was working and doing the various things I had to put my hands to to provide for my family, because you know as men, we are called to provide for our families. God calls us to lead in our families. And so in those moments when I would do that, there would be a longing though for my wife. There would be something that would be in there. And I know I'm not saying this every 20 seconds, and I know that's kind of crazy to think about. But just because a man is thinking about sex doesn't mean that those thoughts are impure, in fact, if you look at some of our early forefathers, they were struggling with this whole idea of sex as well. Augustine said sex was okay as long as, as it didn't have passion or desire, because passion and desire were a sin, but procreation was okay. Thomas of Augustine said this, that as long as sex wasn't enjoyed, it was okay. Martin Luther said intercourse is never without sin. He would justify it by saying that God excuses it by his grace because it's this state of marriage in his work. There's this idea that has permeated, this lie that's permeated our culture and Christian culture saying that sex is dirty. But I'm, just, I'm here to tell you I believe God created it. And if God created it, then it's good that God created something good. Here's another lie. This is more of like a truth lie. It says sex is an animalistic action. Now, here's what I mean by that. Some of us would say this, man, it's just who I am. Like I can't control myself. I'm like an animal. I need it. Come on now. Seriously, you are not an animal. You can control it. See, the church, and this is, this is what happens. The church says it's dirty. Then this other lie comes in and says, that's just, it's just who I am. It's like, I'm, that's, that's just who I am. I'm a guy, and that's just how I am, and... Yes, but no, you're not an animal. You actually have free choice. You have, you have free will. Like, you don't have to give in to everything you feel. Because here's what that, that phrase really is saying. It's saying that, that I just do how I feel. How many of you would be in a lot of trouble if you walked around doing what you felt? I got both hands up because I'd be in a lot of trouble if I went around doing what I felt. Right? Like, we don't just do what we feel. 
We're not just animals that can't control it. Well, I just, I have a desire for meat. I'm a cheetah. That's what I need. No, no, you're not an animal. It's not just something that's just hardwired in you. That's a lie. The enemy wants you to believe that lie. The enemy wants our, our coworkers to believe that lie. The enemy wants our community to believe that lie. Here's the next lie right here. It's sex is just for fun. Now, some of you are like, man, Pastor Brian, these are not lies that I would think. Yeah, but you know what? There are lies that people in your community are believing. Some people think sex is just for fun. It's like a recreational activity. As I've been reading and studying on this whole idea and just looking at what's been happening around our culture, there is this mindset among our younger generation that looks at sex as it's no big deal. It's just like a recreational activity. Hey, I went to the lake this weekend. Oh, I had sex this weekend. It's like the same thing in their mind. There's no, there's no drawback to it. It's like, it's just, it's a recreational activity because I'm an animal. Because it's in there. It's a lie. It's a lie of the enemy. Here's another one. Sex is just physical. It kind of goes right along with that. It's this lie that sex is just a physical thing. It's just a moment. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just, it's just a physical act. But I'll tell you this, I'll say sex is a spiritual thing. Sex is designed to bring two people together and make them one. Sex is something that God created. Now, I know it's a little harder today for you to give me amens. All right, so I understand that you're going to be a little more quiet today, okay? It's a little awkward. You know, it's like God created sex. You're like, amen, brother. <laughs> I know, it's a little... So, I, so I'll, give you, I'll give you the day off a little bit, okay? But uh, you can interact a little bit because sex is not just an isolated event. It is a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. God designed sex to be more than just intercourse. God designed it to be something that would bring two people together. See, real love is defined by a commitment to a person, not just a feeling. Real love isn't just, isn't just about, okay, this is just how I feel, you know, in this moment. But it's actually defined by a commitment. That's why sex is to be used only in the context of marriage. Because what is marriage? Marriage is a covenant, an agreement, a commitment of two individuals coming together. And recognizing that it's more than just a physical thing, there's actually a spiritual thing that happens. There's a spiritual thing that happens, and it's more than just a feeling. There's God bringing two together. But the challenge is with these lies is they remove us from the very thing that God designed for sex to be, is to be intimacy that brings two together. And what happens is, is when sex is used outside of marriage, it actually does the opposite of what God intended it. So what does pornography do? Well, pornography actually removes a person from the thing it's supposed to do. Instead of connecting two people together, it actually creates greater distance. So if I'm looking at a pornographic magazine, if I'm looking at porn on the internet, whatever that is, and then I'm over here, there's this distance between the two, right? And so what God intended was sex to bring two together. Pornography actually does completely the opposite. So much so that the studies now are saying that, that there's just, I mean, it's just, it's literally messing people's sex lives up. Because there's such great distance. And pornography, now I don't have time to get into all of this, but literally you can read research right now. Pornography is rewiring people's brains. It's literally rewiring people's brains. Creating new addictive mannerisms in them. I read a book a long time ago called The Secret in the Pew, and it's written by a deacon in a church who had the secret pornographic addiction in his life, and he walks through the whole thing, and, and he's been set free now, so he talks about it from victory, but he says, man, where I was, it started with the secret that ended up going into call girls, and all of a sudden now he's with prostitutes, which just, just leads down this whole road. He loses everything, loses his marriage. He's broken. He's like, I'm ready to kill myself, and yet God still reaches down in that moment. Why? Because there's hope. There's always hope. And God begins to restore, and God begins to rebuild. And he says, and he talks about it, he's like, I, I caused more pain to other people
people around me than I ever could imagine. But in that, he says, God redeemed my story. And, and now he's married and he's been set free from that. And he's living a victorious life from that. Why? Because there's hope in that. Because real love is more than just a feeling. It's about a commitment. But even the world knows there's something to be said about this idea of sex being more than just a physical thing. Gina Ogden in her book, Women Who Love Sex, which would not be a book I'd recommend, but I'll just quote this. She says, the key to deeper satisfaction is connecting sexuality to spirituality. Listen, even the world understands there's something to be said about connecting the two together. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15 says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. Why? Because there's, there, you're connecting to something you don't want to be connected to. Now, some of you are already sitting there going, I would never, ever, ever be with a prostitute, but yet you're looking at pornography, which I'll tell you is prostitution. It's just a different form. See, today in the 21st century, the concubine of today is, is our computer. The concubine of the 21st century is not a woman it's actually our computer, 21st century. Now, some of you are like, that's why I don't have it in my house. I understand. Some of you who have an addiction in your life, you need to get rid of the computer in your home. You're like, get rid of the internet. That's right, I can't do life without the internet. No, 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 no. You shouldn't do life with the internet because it's gonna destroy your life if it hasn't already. Goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians, it says, and don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one with her body. Hmm. For the scriptures say two are united in one. But then it goes on to say this, says, but the person who is joined to the Lord is in one spirit with him. And then I love what it says. Now this, is, this should be our response to sexual sin. We need to run from it. Run from sexual sin. Run from it. Don't mess around with it. Don't think it. I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, I've been serving the Lord long enough. No, run from sexual sin. Don't think, well, I can watch those movies, I just close my eyes during that time. No, run from sexual sin. Stop watching that stuff on Netflix. Well, it's Netflix, it's okay. No, Netflix has a lot of trash on it. Run from sexual sin. Stop running to it and start running from it. The scriptures are clear. Run from sexual sin. Why? Because it will destroy your life. Because look what it continues to say. It says, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is actually a sin against your own body. Isn't it crazy? The scriptures talk about it in this way, but the church is afraid to talk about it. There is no other sin, none, Scripture doesn't lie. No other sin that so clearly affects the body as this one, sexual immorality. It's a sin against your own body. See, the enemy knew that if he could get the church silent on the subject of sex and allow the world to begin to define it, then what would happen is, is all of a sudden it could become a secret thing. We were talking about this just earlier as a staff during prayer and one of the things that was brought up was even in, in, in our fellowship, and unfortunately, like you really can't talk about sexual sin because that one sin is the one sin that's greater than any other sin. So we've elevated to this place where we say, man, if a pastor even talks about it, can I just say this, and this church should really understand this, what if we could create environments for people to healthily talk about it when it's just a little look in one spot to where it gets to this other spot here where people are leaving their spouses, they're committing adultery, they're doing these different things. Listen, I'm tired of it laying in the hidden areas. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to talk about how God designed it and how God created it, how it's a good thing, and how, when used improperly, though, it will bring about destruction. It goes on to say, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. God bought you. He paid the price so you could be set free. So that's why he says you must honor God with your body. Why is sexual sin so big? 
It's because we can choose to honor God with our body or we can choose to honor others. We can honor the things of this world. The stats are staggering. I could stand up in front of you and give you stat after stat after stat. Stats like 60% of men, conservative studies show 60% of men, 40% of women have committed adultery. 60 and 40%. Is there, is there something wrong with that? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this, God's will for you is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. You and I are called to be different. We're called to exercise self-control in the way we think, in the way that we act, the way we respond. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 says this a few verses later. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. You and I are called to live holy lives. It's okay. Be holy. See, but what happened is, is instead of living holy lives that were actually grabbing a hold of what God had created and saying, no, this is a good thing, we made it this dirty thing, and yet it was hardwired into us. If God created it, now go with me for a second. God, we are created in the image of God. God's plan and purpose was for man and woman to come together so that they could be fruitful and multiply. So literally the desire for sex was hardwired into you and I. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just when it's used out of context. Are you hearing me? It's when it's used out of context that it goes wrong. It's when you and I begin to not exercise self-control. So how do we overcome things that have become maybe an addiction in our lives? Here we go. First is this, is choose God's way. Listen, the world says it's okay to go live together. I'm telling you, don't. Young people, don't. Listen, some of you are, are divorced, and you're, and you're in a relationship maybe right now, and you're like, man, I've already, I've already been down that path and everything. You're like, we'll just, we'll just circle that. I'll just, we'll live together and all these things because I don't want to be hurt again. I'm just telling you, do it God's way. Choose God's way. I'm telling you, he can redeem those things. I, I've sat in counseling sessions with couples and I've said things like this. Listen, I'm gonna challenge you from this day forward to not be engaged in sex anymore. You're not married, you're not doing it God's way. I'm gonna ask you to do it God's way. And I have sat with couple after couple after couple and unfortunately couple after couple after couple who will tell me when they're honest that they've been engaged in that. And I just, I just we kind of just cut right to it. And I just say, listen, no shame. Let's just talk about it. Okay, here we are. Okay, now, moving forward, what would it look like if you could stay committed to this? And I have had couple after couple do that and talk about, man, it was hard. And yeah, yes, I understand self-control is hard. But at the end of it, come up to me on their wedding day and say, Pastor Brian, thank you so much for challenging me with that. I am so excited about tonight. <laughs> yeah, you are. But you know how most couples it comes in? It's like another day. They come into their wedding, it's all been happening and everything. The night of their wedding, they're like, what do you wanna do? I don't know, you wanna watch TV? I mean, I guess, let's watch TV. You got TV dinners? I didn't get anything to eat at the wedding. I know, either did I. What do you, let's just sit back. You're not sharing intimacy as God created it. You're not enjoying the, the, the beauty of God taking two people and bringing them together. You're not enjoying any of that. See, God's way is the better way. Make the choice. Choose God's way. Trust that God knows best. If God says sex outside of marriage is bad, trust him. Don't be like, well, I think I know better. Just trust him. Young people, teenagers, trust him. I'm telling you, it, trust God. I love 2 Corinthians, and I, I, I just love Paul's writing because I feel like Paul is like writing to you and me. Like throughout all the scriptures, here's this guy who's just writing to us. He, he says this, he says, therefore come out from among the unbelievers and separate yourselves. He says, don't touch their filthy things. 
and I will welcome you. He says, I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. There's this idea of like, let's just set ourselves apart. Let's be different. Let's not touch the, the filthy things of this world. Hebrews 13, 4 says, let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, sexually immoral and adulterous. Listen, don't be on the receiving end of that. Because the scriptures all throughout talk about judgment that comes against the sexually immoral. You and I got to choose God's way. Just choose God's way. In fact, will you say that with me? Just say that. Will you say choose God's way? Choose God's way. The second is this. Manage your mind. Manage your mind. Your mind needs managed. You will constantly have things coming at you from all sides, all things. They'll be constantly coming at your mind. Manage your mind. If you know this, the porn industry, its revenue is greater than the NBA, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, NHL combined. The revenue is greater than those combined. You think it's something that you can mess around with? No, 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 no. It is seeking to destroy your life. Just ask the millennial generation. They're the first generation that has grown up with technology at their homes available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The stats say that 79% of men in that generation say they watch pornography at least once a month. Most of them two to three times a week. 64%, man, not that big of a difference, of women in that generation say they watch porn once a month. You and I have to manage our minds. The average age of a child now viewing pornographic materials is 10 to 11 years old. 10 to 11 years old. About 90% of boys and 70% of girls ages 13 to 14 have reporting accessing pornographic material. The struggle's real. Listen, if you have open internet at your home, you are, it's, it's like grabbing a pornographic magazine, like Playboy, that was during my day, Hustler, whatever those were. Grabbing that, there you go, kid. You want internet in the home? You want, you want TV and all that stuff? Well, I just want my kid to be able to, just be able to work through whatever he has to work through. That is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I don't want that stuff in my home. I have put filters on stuff in my home. I have done all these different things in my home. And unfortunately, guess what? That stuff has still crept into my home. Because it's also not the catch-all, end-all. We have to teach our young people. We have to pour into them. We've got to teach them what it means to be men and women of virtue and be men and women who love God. We've got to teach our kids how to manage their minds. But you don't just throw them open Internet access out there. You don't do that. Stop. I was reading a thing in there, and I was sharing this with the staff earlier. I said, you know what's crazy is they talk about this. 20 years ago, 20 years ago, the National Department of whatever was talking about, they'd done this big survey, they were talking about how obscene the Internet had gotten and how there was more pornographic and obscene material available to kids then than in any other time. That was 20 years ago. They were talking about it's creating an epidemic among our young people. 20 years ago, before Wi-Fi was ever there, before the iPhone ever happened, our young people were being bombarded back then. Now we give young people an iPhone because we say we, our kids have to be in touch with us. They have to be able to call me whenever they need to. But yet you've given them open internet access on there to be able to call up a girl anytime and call up another sexual relationship anytime through their phone because you've given them instant access to it. It's hard enough for the adults in the room to manage your phone, let alone asking a 12-year-old boy to manage. Struggle is real. Romans 8 says this, those who have dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit about things or think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. 
but letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. Psalms 101 verse 3 says, I will set before my eyes, I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. Think about that. You and I have to manage our eyes. We have to manage what we see, what we take in. As a young teenage boy, I know for me, first time I was walking down the street and a young man drove by on his four-wheeler and he threw a, a penthouse magazine at me. That's how I was first introduced to pornography. And I remember at a young age, my friend and I, Ryan, looking at that and going, this is so gross. As we flip through the pages. This is disgusting. This is so nasty. But the enemy knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was placing in my mind. And even though at that young age, my hormones had not connected in yet, once they did later, my mind went right back to those things that I had seen. And all of a sudden, that desire that the enemy had placed in a long time ago that my parents never even knew about. No one knew about. You don't talk about sex. I mean, I grew up in a home. You did not talk about sex. You just didn't. Now, as my parents got older, they talk about it a lot, <laughs> which is really awkward. So I've decided just to be really awkward in our home for our kids. I want them to see their dad desiring their mother. I want them to see a healthy relationship. Which leads me to my third point in this, and that is maintain healthy relationships. Maintain healthy relationships. You want to overcome an addiction in your life, then you've got to put healthy relationships in your life. Stop thinking you can do this on your own. Get accountable. Talk to somebody. Don't go put it on Facebook. That's not where you put things. Don't get on there and be like, I struggle with a porn addiction. Don't do that. Because just like there are people who want to help you, there are people who want to bring you down. One of the things I had to learn a long time ago as a pastor is I can't share all my own struggles. You know why? Because there are lions out there who are seeking to devour my life. And they see some of those chinks in my armor and they come in and they try to take advantage of that. I don't do that. That's why I love my wife. That's why I talk about her all the time. That's why even today, when she was up here and she went and sat back down, I said, man, you look good today, baby. Because I'm maintaining a healthy relationship. I know it's hard. I know the world says it's okay. The world says you could do it this way. The world says you need, you know, you'd never buy a car without trying it out. Yes, you would. If you had a Corvette, listen, you want to come and give me a Corvette? I don't need to take it for a test drive. Buy me a brand new Corvette, I trust it. The only time you got to take something for a test drive is when you don't find a whole lot of value or worth in it, when you're questioning it. You start looking at it and going, I don't know if this thing's going to run right. I got to take that thing for a test drive. Versus if we did things God's way, then we would recognize that, no, God created this. God's all good. I've heard people say, well, what if, what if we just can't connect? Then just pray about it and say, Lord, listen, you designed for this all to connect. Let's get this working. Maintain healthy relationships. Because the scriptures constantly talk about if you don't, then what will happen is, is you'll become corrupted, like 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts what? Good character. Listen, the people you hang out with corrupt you, or they lift you up. I don't hang out with a bunch of guys who are cheating on their wives. You know why? Because I don't want to cheat on my wife. I don't hang out with them. I don't spend a lot of time with them. Do I know some? Yes, I do, unfortunately. Not unfortunately, fortunately. Because I want to be able to pour into that. But here's what, I, here's what I will say, though. Like, I don't hang out with people like that. I hang out with people who are going to lift me up and encourage me. I hang out with people who are going to do this. Now, the problem sometimes is then that's how we start creating our Christian bubbles, right? Like, we just start saying, me and no one else. Like, us four, no more. Like, all these different things. No, no, you need to still have relationships with people, but the people you hang out with, you need to be aware. Some of you, you hang out with people, and every time you hang out with that guy or that gal, you're always doing something stupid. Well, guess what? Don't hang out with them. They're my best friend. I've been growing up with them since they were younger. 
Yeah, well, they're dragging you down. Bad company corrupts good character. James 5.16 says this, make this common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together whole and healed. Make it a common practice. This is something that we have not done in the scriptures. We don't make it a common practice to confess our sins to one another. We privately do it with God all the time. You wake up in the morning, hi, hey, what's up, God? Hey, uh, just got a few things to go over real quick. Yeah, you know, yesterday I was doing this. Would you just forgive me? In fact, let's just do a blanket, Jesus. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins and everything I did wrong yesterday. Amen. Then we go throughout the day, and we're fine. And someone says, how you doing? And you don't tell them, yeah, yesterday I was struggling, and I just looked at pornography. You don't tell them that, because why? Well, I've just been set free. I asked Jesus to, to save me. Like, I asked Jesus to cleanse my life. But yet it's this pattern where you keep doing it. Maybe what would happen is if you looked at a brother in Christ, and you said, you know what, yesterday, I, man, I fell, and I looked at pornography. Then that brother would be like, all right, what do we got to do to fix this? What do we got to do to help create boundaries? You got, you got filtering? You got accountability? No, no, no. Okay, well, that's a good for, place to start right there. Okay, I'm going to call you tomorrow. I'm going to ask you the question. Did you look at porn yesterday? And you're going to tell me the truth. Because if you don't, I'm going to, mm. Like, some of us men need a little bit of that in our lives, right? Ladies, same thing. Like, you need relationships with people. And it's not your spouse's responsibility to carry all your problems and then to try to help you through all your problems. A lot of, I'm not saying don't talk with your spouse about it. I'm just saying it's not, your, it's not my job to come to Kasha and say, you know, Kasha, you know what, I struggle with this in my life, so babe, I need you to help keep me accountable. No. I need other guys in my life who will help me keep me accountable in there. We need to make it a common practice to confess our sins one to another, pray for each other. That's what it's talking about. It's about encouraging each other. I'm going to pray for you. There's something to be said when you know someone's praying for you and when you know accountability's coming and they're going to look at you and they're going to say, hey, how you doing, man? How you doing, ma'am? Listen to what Song of Solomon says in chapter 8. It says this in verse 4. It says, don't excite love. Don't stir up until the time is right and you're ready. All the single people in the house, listen to me. All the single people, all the single people. Listen up. Don't excite it. Don't stir it up until the time is right. Until the time is right. Until it's ready. Don't, plus, don't play around with it. Don't mess around with it. It's not your friend. Some people say, how far is too far? <laughs> how far is too far? Man, I used to get asked that question all the time as a, as a student pastor. I used to say, well, where's your mind at? Well, man, oh, Pastor Brian, like it's, like it's there. Okay, well, that's too far. <laughs> How does it feel when you hold her hand? Oh, man, like causes my, oh, woo, I love it. I love holding her hand. You know what? Then don't hold her hand. <laughs> right? Like, because some of us, in the house who've been married a while, you know, like, I know. Like, there are times cops come over, she can grab my hand. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> she rubs just right, right over my thumb, and I'm like, oh, yeah. She's exciting the love. She's stirring it up. <laughs> I'm just saying, young people, singles, like, don't do it. Don't excite the love. Don't stir it up. Listen, just don't do it. Wait. Number four, let's be an example. And you may say, Pastor Brian, like, how does being an example help me overcome an addiction? Hear me out. When you know others are looking to you it causes you to think differently and process differently. You start going, no, I'm going to be an example to other people about what purity means. I'm going to be an example to others about what it means to, to walk this out correctly. I'm going, to, I'm going to be an example to others because when we're an example to others, what happens is this, there's a newfound freedom that comes in our lives. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 says, With promises like this to pull on, dear friends, let us make a clean break with everything that defiles or distracts us, both within and without. Let us make our entire lives fit 
and holy temples for the worship of God. There's this idea of you and I actually taking our lives and making them holy and saying, my life is going to be fit for the kingdom. My life is going to be fit for the worship of God. I'm going to be an example to other people around me of what it means to be a man of purity, to what it means to be a woman of purity. I'm going to take something that God designed, and I'm actually going to use it as an example for others. Instead of being silent, I won't be silent on it. I'm just going to help people reframe how they think about this thing that God created. If God created it, then it's good. But what happens a lot of times is instead of us allowing God to change us from the inside and say, God, maybe it starts with me today, God. Maybe right now what has to happen is, God, I, I need your help to be an example. I need your help to help me manage in, uh, healthy relationships. I need your help, God, to help me manage my mind. I need your help, God, to do things your way. And it comes to a place where you're like, I just, I need God's help. I need him to help me through these moments and these seasons right now. And you're more focused on the circumstances changing than you are on you changing. And I've said this multiple times already throughout this series, but, but we love the idea of God changing our circumstances, but we don't like the idea of God changing us. Like, change my circumstances. Some of you are like, man, God, if you could just take all things sexual around me, like, just take them away, that would be fantastic. Change those circumstances. And God's like, listen, we need to deal with you first. There's some stuff inside of you that needs to be dealt with. And we get so focused on the circumstances. We live in a horrible world that we forget that we have been set apart. And just because we live in it doesn't mean we're of it. So you can come to church, you can feel all comfortable, and you can leave unchanged. I've seen it. Sunday after Sunday, people come in, man, great message, Pastor Brian, and leave completely unchanged. Because they look at the circumstances around them rather than looking inside. If God created sex and said, hey, this is a good thing, something I designed and created to be in the confines of a marriage relationship, why would we let the world create an addiction in our lives outside of that? Pastor Brian is just there all the time. I know. But you're different. Listen, the world around us can get horrible, and you're still going to be different. You're still going to be an overcomer. You're still going to be someone who's going to say, no, I know how God designed it. I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to choose God's way. I'm going I'm to manage my mind. I'm going to maintain healthy relationships around me. I'm going to be an example to others. I am. If the church would take that approach, culture would change. There's too many of us for culture not to change. Culture would change. And you say, Pastor Brian, we live in the end times. I understand that. But culture would still change around us because, why? Because God is living in you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And that scripture can be taken to the bank every time Come on now, someone right there got excited. Every time. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So here's what I'm going to ask all across this room, if you could bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment. Here's one of the hardest areas right now, because for many of us in the room, the struggle's real. So instead of asking you to raise your hand in front of people around you, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to ask you to be committed to talk to one person about it. One person. And if you're like, I, I, I don't know the person I need to talk to about it, then now here's what the second thing I'm going to encourage you. As the gathering dismisses here in a little bit, there's going to be prayer team members up front. Just go pick one who's of your gender and just go up and say, hey, can I talk to you? And our prayer team would be happy to pray with you and talk with you, and it's a safe place. We won't go from that spot. Talk with them. 
Some of you are already like, no, I have a brother and sister in mind right now. I know who I need to talk with. I need to get accountability. I'm asking you to do that. The only way we can get victory over this addiction that isn't prevalent in many of our lives is if we reframe it and say, no, God designed it. It's a good thing. We need to get rid of those lies. We need to choose to do it God's way. We need to manage our minds. We need to maintain healthy relationships. We need to be an example. But first, for many of us in the room, that starts with just confessing it with one person, talking it through with them. So Father, I pray right now across this room, people who are listening within the sound of my voice, those who are even watching online right now, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just stir in their hearts right now. First of all, I pray that you'd stir hope, that hope would stir inside of their hearts and lives, God, that they would say, man, no, there's a hope inside of me that I can get victory over this area of my life. God, hope would rise. God, I pray that at the same time, I pray, God, that there would be just an acknowledgement that that this has got to change, that this area, that they can change, that they they can find freedom in it. And I pray, God, that they would take the necessary steps to find that freedom. God, we just scratched the surface of of how you designed and how you created, God, this this topic of of sex to be. But God, in that, God, we also know that the world has tried to, to pollute, has tried to destroy And I pray, God, that you would just reframe people's minds right now. God, people who have have had their minds rewired by pornographic images, have had their mind rewired by things of this world, God, I just pray right now that that you would undo that wiring. Father, right now, that there would be like a spiritual rewiring that would take place in the lives and the minds of men and women across this room, God. That is not who they are. God, that's not their label. God, that's not a family thing. No, 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 no. God, you have called them, set them apart. God, they, they can be exactly who you've called them to be. So Father, I pray that they would walk in that freedom today. God, that people would walk in freedom. God, that they would not leave the same. They would walk in freedom. They would make a commitment today. I am going to confess my sin to another and I'm gonna get the freedom that I know God has for me. Father, I pray that you would do that very thing in the hearts and lives of people across this room. In Jesus' name, amen.